You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. Welcome to For the Lord. This is Roger coming to you on the 20th of February. Got a couple of birthday boys this week. Last week it was I just had mine, and this week the boys had theirs. So, boys, happy birthday. Joe and I did you too as well. guitars. Thank you, sir. Vince, manga thing. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. <laughs> kind of tells you the kind our, of guys our, we are. Our interests. <laughs> Ours just happen you guys have musical okay. instruments. I get weird Japanese shit. It's perfect. Okay, now explain what this book is to us. Oh, and also I uh, got the uh, the full um, omnibus of the Samurai Jack comics. Oh, you can't go wrong with that. Gorgeous. Hardcover one? Gorgeous. Or is it a no, soft cover? No, it's a soft cover, but okay. it's a beautiful soft cover. Oh, man. Nice. Nice. I didn't know that was out yet. I, yeah, it came out like last month, I think. Back when we were doing the Comic Book Informer podcast, I talked to Jim and told him that when that comes out, I wanted at least a couple that I was going to pay for them and get them to sign them. And I'd keep one and then we'd give one away to someone, an audience member. But I guess I get to save my money now. (laughs) (laughs) Tear. There's a big manga tear under my eye. (laughs) Anyways, so what's this book thing? Yeah, it's a a role-playing rule set. It's called Tenra Bansho Zero. And it's an old Japanese role-playing game, old air quotes, because it came out, I believe, in the 90s, although it wasn't... That's old by RPG standards at this yeah. point, let's be honest. Well, yeah, I mean, that was what, uh, still second edition D&D was in the, <laughs> out then? Yeah, AD&D second edition, that was still the new hotness. <laughs> and old, old Shadowrun, White Wolf, yeah, that was many, many editions ago for certain RPGs. But uh, it wasn't actually translated into English until... I want to say like 2014 is when it was actually uh, brought out here. And like, it's one of like the iconic Japanese role-playing games. Cause Oh, the- okay. Sorry. Wait, keep on. Somebody yeah, finally clued in. <laughs> the way the Japanese fans approach RPGs is very different from how we do in the West. Like it's not, uh, they're not built around these long, you know, sprawling campaigns where you level up a character from for hours and hours and levels and years of game time can pass by. Japanese role playing games are very much episodic. Like a lot of them are designed to just be like pick up and play for, you know, a two to four hour session. And like that's, you know, you can do it. Like that's an entire story. So what's cool at Tenraban Show Zero is the game is built as like a like a TV show or a movie where like there's actual scenes and you move from scene to scene and like there there's mechanics to it like I've barely scratched the surface of the book so I can't explain it in too much detail but it's basically intended to tell an entire story of what would otherwise be multiple sessions campaign in just like one or two sessions and like it it's really streamlined it's very RP focused uh you you actually roll on tables to like determine how your characters like upon first meeting like you know two two wandering samurai cross on a bridge well how are they going to react to each other and, and there's like entire parts of the game for that but where it gets absolutely amazing is in the actual character creation like character creation is Joe you'll understand it's like old school Shadowrun yeah 
it's deep. There's all like, and it even plays a lot like Shadowrun, where you accumulate pools of dice and you roll for successes. But like, it's it's pretty intense. But the amount of customization you have and what you can choose from is just absolutely insane. Think of literally anything from a Japanese anime or movie, and you can make it in this game. Yeah, I remember the, the, when you started saying that it was re, like redone and translated over in 2014. I remember it because this actually came over in part of the revival for like Big Eyes, Small Mouth and stuff like that. Because mm-hmm. that's when those started getting like new books, new pressings, new everything. Because right around that time, for whatever reason, there was like this huge surge in JRPG um, tabletop stuff. No clue why, but thank you whoever decided to do that. Yeah. So like you can have, you know, a traditional like samurai type if you wish. Uh, you can have freaky little psychic children. You can have teenagers piloting giant robots. Yep, you can like, have new types. And- tentacle monsters. Yeah. Like you <laughs> literally name it and there's a rule set for it in this game. So like it's I don't think I'm ever actually going to run anything with it, but it's just something really cool to have because it's like I said, it's a gorgeous book. Like now that I have it in my hands, because there's actually two separate books. There's the rule book and there's like another like hundred page full color book, like explaining the world and stuff that's going on, like where all this crazy demonic possessed samurai and all these things fit in. And as I told you guys in the pre-show, what what's really cool about this is and why it took so long to actually bring to America in addition to just 500 pages of text is a lot of the ways that they explain how the rules work is through manga comics of like actually showing people playing the game and it's like all art like it's an actual comic book at certain points and it's absolutely amazing like it's I'm really glad to have this in my collection now awesome but you don't want to run a game with it I had- after I finish reading the book, we'll see. <laughs> well, it sounds like it'd be a ton of fun. It, it, the action of playing the game would probably be a ton of fun, but if character creation is as old school as he's saying it is, mm. it it's you spend almost as much time creating the character as you do playing that one episode. But like, what's cool though is they have a system in the game. Well, they call it karma, and it's it's similar to. Um, Shadowrun karma and that you know you have a cost that you can spend when you're creating your character the more powerful character you have the more karma it takes but what's interesting is if your karma actually gets too high like if you reach for the stars for like more powerful abilities that character ascends and they're no longer playable by immortals that that character like if your character reaches a certain point in their growth they become an NPC in the world. Like they're taken from the player's hands and they're now a tool of the GM. So it's a really interesting balancing mechanic of the players always want to do like the coolest, craziest shit, but it limits them and go, if you make a character, it's too cool. Your GM's just going to kill you with it later. <laughs> yeah. That, that, I mean, and that's not an, that's not a unique concept talking about D and D second edition. Yeah. Uh, Dark Sun used to do that too. Players mm-hmm. actually ascended into dragon hood. And we're taken away by the GM to be used later. Uh, it's also, it also plays into their concept of these aren't sprawling campaigns. Like you're intended to be done with a character after one or two sessions anyway. So it's a way to like narratively write them off and still have them exist as part of the overlying narrative. It's pretty awesome, though. I, I certainly wouldn't want a character taken away from me after I had spent that long building it up. Mm-hmm. I'm still a little ticked about it's original, I got to tell you. He wasn't taken away from you. you yeah, we're, we're, there's just got to be a poop quest. 
Nakri is going to be digging through some poop to to find bits oh, is that of him. What she's doing now. Yes, that's that is what she's. Now that I know that there is she's a revive, now that there's a revive spell, I, like, I this is what's happening. She is going to. I love the fact that I made mention of the resurrection spell, and Roger just goes absolutely banana shit wacko for it. He's like, "Oh God, we got to do this." She has a purpose finally. She's going to have two bags of poop. One. With Sir Reginald and the other one with Robin. <laughs> and then when she has enough money, she has to decide which one to bring back first. <laughs> but, oh yeah, it's going to get interesting now that I have a purpose. <laughs> Speaking of which, we need to, to set up the next game. We haven't had one for a little while now. Okay, let's move on from there. There was some news about some card games, but we're going to push that over to another episode. The super hot uh, Kickstarter card game was successful. It's going to be made and it's interesting. And I like the, I like how they're doing it. A little complex at points, but I kind of like that they're able to bring what appears to be a really slick um, tabletop game for a game like fucking super hot. So I'm not going to cover too much of it now. We're going to just wait and touch on it maybe next week. We'll see. Uh, let's move on from there, though. Now, did you guys, either of you, have a chance to watch that Prey video? Yes. Vince? I, I, watched, I watched some of it. Bits of it because, you know, I, I don't want to ruin Agreed. too much of the game for myself. But I did read other impressions as well. Yeah. So we've been getting more leaks not leaks, but they're allowed to show what they've been doing, especially the demos. And there was one video that was out that was an hour, just over an hour long. And you got to see quite a bit, actually, at the beginning, a lot of kind of running around. It gave you an idea of the setting. It gave you an idea of the UI controls and also the type of gameplay that you can expect in the game moving forward. In this one here, it was the female Morgan and you got to kind of like you again, you wake up in this room, apartment, whatever you want to call it. Initially, that's what you think it is. And it's a uh, 2032 slick as hell, fucking gorgeous. All of it. Beautiful. And it has kind of um, an AR feel with some of the, the menus that come up and different things like that. You can check email. There's a, a lot of just lower sitting around for you to read it. Whether we're talking about emails or magazines, books, different things like not a ton in the books, but enough that again, you get a a feel for the different things in this world. There's gotta be a video somewhere of somebody with their one hour press preview that never left the bedroom. Oh God. Yeah. There's a ton to do. (laughs) Yeah. And of course you can throw shit around too, which is always fun. Fully functioning kitchen. (laughs) Fucking make whatever you want. Once you put your suit on and you leave the room, then you're told, "Listen, you got to get up to the chopper on the uh, on the the roof," and that's where we're going to see on the big screen, especially like if you're playing on a, on a big screen, just how gorgeous this game is going to be because that chopper is like sleek, gorgeous, just futuristic chopper, and then the cityscape kind of looks like I don't know if it takes place in on the um the west coast but it looked very much like vancouver actually like uh that kind of area with the buildings that went out and with the water right there and the bridge it was just beautiful and then you get taken to transstar 
And well, presumably that's what you're seeing kind of thing. And then you're meeting up with your, your brother who's there as well as having tests done by a, a doctor where you're kind of going from room to room and they're testing different things about you. And it doesn't take long for shit to hit the fan and for the alien creatures, which they refer to as mimics to just kind of show up. And that's when you really start to, there's kind of like that glitch in the matrix and all of a sudden you're back to you blackout you can hear the doctors talking over you and you know, okay, something's going on. And then you're back in your room. And this is what we'd seen from the other trailers, that repeating kind of like Groundhog Day thing. Only now there's, again, you're seeing, again, to use the Matrix, that glitch in the Matrix. You're seeing the little glitches here and there. And and I loved when she just pounded through the glass and all of a sudden you realize, oh, this is all fake. This is all pretend, especially even the choppers pretend everything is just make believe. And it's that environment that she, they spent their time running around doing a crap load of shit, investigating stuff. You find out more about the, um, the crafting in the game, the neuromods that you can use as well. There's the skill trees they showed off. I, again, I was careful in what I was watching and things like that. And I, I tended, mm-hmm. I tried not to read as much of the, especially the email as they were showing up on the screen and different things, just so that I can have some surprises. And it's not like it's spoiled a ton at that point, but it certainly reinforced the idea in my mind that this is a, definitely a purchase. And fairly early on, this was spectacular. I was way impressed. Yeah. May, looking at this is one of those things where May 5th is not coming soon enough. And I don't say that about very many games. Uh, that said, I'm probably not going to watch a whole lot more coming up because yeah. I can like I can feel myself getting that thirst and uh, I, I could see gorging on this and ruining the experience for myself. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. Like, I'll happily watch like some context free gameplay videos, <laughs> but just like actual chunks of the game I, I'm scared of. Yeah, the it was cool, too, because you you find out a little bit more in terms of. A little, not a ton, but like the reason for all this, why is this happening? And I know there's a lot more that's coming up, but you do find out because, again, it, it falls on an age old trope that we've said we were kind of had it with. And it's that amnesia. And here it's explained to you by yourself in a video that there's neuromods with those fucking killer needles <laughs> that go into your eye. Actually, once those are removed, it also removes any memories you've made since they were implanted, which is kind of cheating quite a bit there. But that's that's why that's there. And again, it's one of those things where I'm so tired of that amnesia kind of thing. But based on the style of this and what we've seen so far, I'm I'm still looking forward to seeing and unraveling more of that mystery. And then there was there was also another. I don't know if I posted it, but somebody posted a video of the seven things you can do in the game because you can like straight up just pick up fucking turrets and bring them with you wherever you go and just drop them there. <laughs> I was like, that's going to be my new suitcase. I'm going to be carrying like around a fucking turret with me. From from seeing the different impressions, like this is going. This is one of those games that like it's the blend of like Bioshock, Dishonored, Deus Ex, and just with all of the options you have available so that's why i loved looking at the skill trees and seeing yeah. like how you could progress down like straight combat or mechanical or science is it's oh man well, that I've, that's that's the stuff that really gets me going because it means i can play through it a couple of times with completely different experiences both narratively and gameplay i love that there's again 
there's a lot of lore in the game everywhere, but that involves not just like the writing of different things, be it email or books or whatever, but just random shit because it is, it was an office building. And one of the things they said, like if you go in the sales area, you can go find one of the desks. There's a woman who worked there who was smuggling out items from there. And so under her desk are, well, you can read the email, but under her desk, there's some neuromods, but there's also a, a Nerf gun. <laughs> so, so you can run around this world with a fucking crossbow Nerf gun, which is completely useless, although it does allow you to hit switches and things that are far away or up on a wall kind of thing. So I thought, oh, my God. sound useless to me. It, it just sounds like a fucking blast. And then when you're looking at the glue cannon as well, Again, I don't know how far you made it into the video, but at one point, she scales the wall using the glue gun by putting patches of blobs of glue along the wall and then just jumps on the railing and onto those and makes it across the way. I was like, oh, this is going to be phenomenal. This is, that's, that's all I needed to see to know that this environment is very, very much open to whatever you feel you can do with your imagination. So that's Fucking oh cool. yeah, absolutely. I cannot wait for the forthcoming uh entry at AGDQ next year Nerf Gun only playthrough. <laughs> that <laughs> will happen. They didn't show what happens if you shoot it at one of the mimics. I I don't know if they laugh at you. I don't know <laughs> what happens. <laughs> but but yeah, but apparently you got to go like she said you you can find them all over the place the Nerf uh, Nerf bullets whatever the fuck you want to call those. Uh but you can also, yeah, I guess that's so. You can go and pick them up after you've shot them as well. <laughs> like, I, I raised four kids with Nerf guns. This is going to be like old school, just walking around picking Nerf darts. <laughs> if it's accurate, you can only find like 30% of them once you're done. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. All right, let's move on from there. Very, very briefly, did you guys watch the very short video, uh, the mood video for Hub? Yes. God damn, I this game looks know. gorgeous. It, it's kind of a sweeping overview of a lot of the different zones. And so you can see, like, again, same art style, but still looks different enough. And the puzzles to go up and down and different things like that. I only bring it up because we are going to be having them on, hopefully, soon on the show. When the shit calms down with uh, with different conferences and whatnot. And we'll be able to talk to them more. But everything I'm seeing shaping up to be phenomenal. Right on track. Based on what we've seen before, like in, in this mood trailer, if it's supposed to set the tone for the game, like it was bleak. Like there wasn't a lot of hopefulness. Like and it's like, oh, you know, you at the end of the text, you were expecting way home, but like I don't know. Like it, I I just sat there after it was over. And I was like, man, that was a little darker than I was anticipating. I mean, I'm into it. Don't well, get I me think, wrong. <laughs> I think that's kind of the the interesting thing about it too, right? Like everybody looks at the character and looks at some of the artwork and. It's like, oh, this is going to be a light, fun puzzle game. It'll be kind of like Zelda and oh, everything. And then like it, but it's got severely dark undertones. And that's really cool because that's one of the things that if you try to apply it to a Zelda game, gets really weird. I mean, Twilight Princess. Eh. Um, but like here, it, it just it's it works because it's like I, I try to think how to phrase it. I mean, lack of a better term, it sets the tone where, like, you don't know what's going on, so to speak. And that's cool. It, it encourages you to explore and find out what the fuck is happening. Yeah, definitely. Okay, Joe, you wanted to talk about uh, Watch Dogs 2? 
Yeah, so this is interesting because Watch Dogs 2, uh, people were complaining about the ending being a little uh, abrupt and not normally what you would expect from an Ubisoft game. Uh, so an update came out, and the update brought with it a slew of new content, new things to do, new missions, and a new ending. So in the previous, uh, in the current update, in the current ending, uh, or the new ending, there's a hint at where the game franchise is going to be going from here on. Now, we do know that Watch Dogs 2 actually did pretty well, so they are going to be moving on with more in the series. Um, and if you haven't beaten the game yet, sorry, minor spoilers here, but I think it's kind of cool. There's a conversation, uh, a phone conversation that you're listening into where it starts talking about DedSec going global. And it lists off a couple places like Middle East, South America, Europe, uh, of where they're going to start pushing out of America into the rest of the world, which is kind of interesting because we've seen New York, Boston, we've seen San Francisco. I didn't think they were going to go outside. But what's interesting here is that after not just are they hinting at like possible locations, there's a set of coordinates that are given in this ending as well. And those coordinates put you right in the middle of Brixton, London. That's as far as I can tell, that's Ubisoft speak for this is probably where the next game's going to happen because they love awesome. doing that shit. Yeah. And I think that's kind of cool. I think that's going to be interesting to see how different parts of the world uh, interact in the watchdogs universe. Well, considering the experience that they now have, I mean, it, it certainly it was Victorian England with um, Assassin's Creed, but still it'll give them some, I, I think it would still help them with designing London for a Watch Dogs 3 game kind of thing, which would be freaking awesome, I agree. Okay, moving on from there. Well, motherfucker, I told you, you you're, if you're going to put it in the show notes, we're going to talk about it then. You wanted to talk about Valhalla. I didn't want to. You, wanted, you put it in the show I, notes. That for, meant for you wanted to. listening at home, I, I linked it because we all know how much uh, Roger really, truly loves the Valhalla game. Uh, apparently, there is going to be releasing an update called uh, Valhalla Redux, uh, pre log Redux, um, or it's out now. And it's going to be a prologue episode with a small three-chapter release. Um, basically, that's going to give more content or story. I have no clue what it's going to be as far as, like, what it is. But Motherfucker, you, at- you didn't prep. You did not no, prep. No, I didn't. I, you, you can were, go ahead you, and give me shit for it. <laughs> So, for context, uh, the, the, pro- <laughs> the prologue. Why is am I not that, surprised? Uh, the prologue is something they actually released before they started fully developing the game, like to to gauge interest and you know it was, it was like their version of a Kickstarter. Basically, is uh, here's here's what here's an example of what we want to do, and uh, it actually though it directly leads into the start of the game because when you start the game, like there's some stuff like she's talking about what happened over the weekend which is where the prologue took place. But in, in the context of the game, it's never explained. All you know is something with dogs, and now she has PTSD. <laughs> because one of the characters in the game is actually a Shiba Inu, and she's not too happy when dogs are at the bar. So, so, so it, this is that weekend prior to the proper game starting. Yeah. And there you have it. Let's just That's all on. I got. I got nothing, man. I, I, like, I'm never going to play the game. I'm, it's not my. It's not my cup of tea. It is a. It is a. A game for a very specific audience. I am not that audience. No, 
No, neither am I. We've made that abundantly clear. I am, and I still had my issues with the game, so. <laughs> okay, let's talk about some other crazy Japanese shit. Um, actually, you know, Ali, who's the one that sent me the, the video, the trailer for the Storm I love Blood. How, I love how she was involved in the show notes before I could. Uh, yeah, <laughs> she sends this video, and, I'm, and she's like, maybe Sir Reginald could be a samurai. I'm going, what, why are you trying to get me back into this game? No, no, you could put it in the show notes. Talk about it. It's like, oh, Ali. <laughs> so, take it away. Final Fantasy 14 and 15. Well, what did you think of the trailer? Well, we'd already seen a lot of it. Like the, well, the, yeah, the, the, the first half is the same as the announcement trailer. Yeah, it's the same but battle. Then they, they get the second two. half with all the other new stuff. Yeah, which, stylistically cool as shit, obviously, as you would expect, although very traditional emo Japanese kind of anime soldier or samurai soldier kind of thing. So I kind of would have liked something a little different than the normal tropes, to be honest, but it was still Mm -hmm. cool. It was well done. And it certainly did have me curious moving forward how that class is going to play in in the actual MMO. Well, it's a good thing you asked because they actually provided some small details on that. So, yes, uh, this past weekend was Final Fantasy XIV's Fan Fest in Frankfurt because they do three of these a year now, one in Vegas, one in Tokyo, one in Germany. Stuck on that blizzard. (laughs) And it was another big success, and they continued showing off stuff for the Stormblood expansion out later this year. Most notably, uh, like I said, they showed off a new version of the trailer, which... The entire first half of the trailer is the stuff we saw in the announcement trailer with the awesome monk battle and the statue waterfall. Freaking great. And then they started coming out on the world map because we knew Alamigo, the uh, final nation in the the game's continent, was going to be where a lot of the story was going to take place. And then it starts panning out and crossing the ocean to the eastern continent, to the land of Doma, which is very traditional Japanese and Chinese influenced area and showing off the new samurai class. So finally getting the reveal that uh, that's the next playable class. And this is actually pretty interesting because uh, when they were talking to Yoshi about, you know, how the samurai is going to work and why they chose the samurai and this and that, because it's going to be a melee DPS class as opposed to the samurai in Final Fantasy XI, which functionally was kind of a DPS support class, but you could tell it was designed to be a tank-based class. And just the way the meta worked out, nobody ever went down that route. And he talks about it. He's like, when you when you envision a samurai, you know, most of you will envision the like the the shogun type heavy armor type of samurai that is, you know, that would function more as a tank in gameplay. But he's like the way I wanted to do it was more of like the post-Edo samurai, you know, the wandering samurai types. Like you see, because he's wearing the flowing robes and looking really, you know, stylish, which lends itself more to a DPS effect. And they're talking about how it's going to work. And the actual gameplay is going to have a lot of uh, like EI techniques, you know, quick drawing of the sword out of the out of the sheath for really, like you said, it was right, showed right there in the trailer when he slices the bullets out of the air. And uh, how that you're actually going to charge your katana with different types of energy uh, based on snow, moon, and flower. And that's how you're going to, like, unleash, spe- unleash special attacks is by stacking these different types of energy. And it's It looks really cool. It's going to be a lot of fun. Personally, I'm still more into the red mage that they showed off, but I- I'm glad that 
samurai is now in the game because is it now that they've gotten a lot of the 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 core stuff in there they can start expanding to like more fancy stuff as the game goes on did you ever see the video of the motherfucker who can slice through bullets with a sword no there was a show in real life yeah 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 there was a show that ran for a little bit i i'm I'm not gonna say for how long because i honestly Mm -hmm. do not know but it was uh stan lee and it was the oh, is that that superhuman show thing? he was doing? Yeah, yes. yeah. And I mean, some of them were fucking cool. Some of them were interesting. Some of these people, and there was the guy who can slice through bullets with uh, with a samurai sword. So that's the first thing mm-hmm. that I thought when I saw the video. Is like, there's a motherfucker alive who can do that shit. <laughs> Not quite as stylishly, and his hair didn't look quite as good. <laughs> <laughs> the buildings didn't move when he sliced through the, the bullets, but he did it. So, yeah. So I think it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, they showed off like the new housing district that's going to be in the game. And like, oh, beautiful. Classes, you know, what you would expect from expansion, not just new playable classes, new new quest lines. One of the things that I actually found really interesting when they were doing the uh, the live letter as they call it, uh, basically it's question and answers from the fans to uh, Yoshinori, the producer. And he was talking about some new quest lines that are going to be added in with the expansion. And they're going to be crafting-based storylines that are actual storylines. It's not just going to be like daily fetch quests and whatnot. And as he explained it, because crafting is a huge thing in Final Fantasy XIV. Like, it's not... Like something you do on your, you know, on your warrior or whatever, it's it's its own class in and of itself with its own like quests and gear and like all kinds of stuff surrounding it. And he realizes that crafting players need story rewards as well. So there's going to be these entire quest lines surrounded surrounding the crafting classes of like raiders and, and, you know, martial classes get really cool storylines in the dungeons. But for people who prefer to focus on the crafting aspect of the game, now they're going to get their own cool storylines to go along with that as well. Eh, still crafting. <laughs> I, You know what? I'm not going to lie. and I, It's not like I played um, FF14 for mm-hmm. that long, but I did play for a number of months and, and I did enjoy it. I did like next to no crafting. I really did not like. I tried it a little bit, and it was like I. It, fucking it's a very and like this. it's its own system, like it's oh, its own game. I hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. Luckily, there was plenty of other shit to do because yeah, I did not want to do that. Exactly, it's not something you have to do. Yeah, but like there are people who are really, really into crafting in that game. Oh yeah, I I happen to know one. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't me. So, and then the other news, too, that we literally just heard is that it might be coming to the Switch. Yeah, because, of course, they want as many people playing the game as possible. I mean, if, as he said, we would be interested in bringing it to the Switch as long as it can work with all the other games. Because it is fully cross-platform between, well, was PS3. They're kind of throwing away support of the PS3 at this point. But PS4, PC, and soon Xbox One. Somebody's made it abundantly clear that it's coming to if it's coming to the Switch, you're getting a Switch. <laughs> what? <laughs> Check Discord. <laughs> Missed something here. Yeah, no, she she's made it clear. If it's coming to the you Switch, should, you're you getting should, one. You should ask oh, okay, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was just posted. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> There's your excuse to pick up a Switch. <laughs> Pre-order now. 
<laughs> so that pre-order means, now. You'll get one by next year. Yeah. That said, I'm not saying that I would buy a Switch for FF14, certainly. But if I had it, that's actually not a bad setting for it to be mm-hmm. able to, again, disconnect it, plop it wherever you want and and play it. That's actually not that bad. That's It might be interesting, depending yeah. on how they I, it. I think they would have like I'm trying to think of like how you would work out the UI because like the UI works well on a console, but on a console with the proper amount of buttons as we know it these days, which the Switch doesn't quite have. So I don't know. It's gonna be interesting if they if they try to do it. Now they could do it if they made it a little bit different to actually make use of the touch screen. That right. would be what if you're like playing nice. on it and you're not on your. Uh, it, I, I would be I know, seeing how saying, they do it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious. Okay. What about uh, Final, Fantasy, Final Fantasy 15? Yeah, we, we mentioned, I guess it was last week, that I had finished Final Fantasy 15, but didn't quite talk about, you know, just how bad the it was. actual ending of the game itself, because holy shit, it's a fucking disaster. <laughs> <laughs> so you can tell that, you know, the Japanese developers aren't quite aware of certain, you know, American phrases that we like to use to describe things because after the big open world stuff for the first two thirds of the game, the last couple chapters are literally on rails. And I do mean literally because you're taking a train from one point. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, I mean, I look at it as they sold a unfinished game because it's it takes you from one thing to the next and just they just start throwing shit at you. Like story elements that had never been mentioned before are suddenly there. Like there's one point near the end of the game where one of the uh, one of the main characters pulls the like most ludicrous explanation out like reaches so far up his own ass to get to this character uh, it comes so far out of nowhere (laughs) use your words (laughs) i'm trying to it's it's just so bizarre like completely for the entire purpose of opening a door and then it's literally never mentioned again like (laughs) The the like the entire last chapter of this well not the last chapter the the next to last chapter completely changes the gameplay. You're it's now a solo Metal Gear Solid shitty version of a game where don't even bother trying to stealth past the enemies. It's quicker and easier just to kill them anyway. And it goes on forever. It's oh my god, the end of this game was so bad. But I do have to say there were points where it was. Like certain parts of the game, you can tell somebody like really cared because like some of the way like the just the way things worked together of like the the characters, the voice acting, the animations, the music, like parts of this game near the end were legitimately very well done. But it by then it made absolutely no sense. So they're talking to Hajime Tabata, the director of the game. And first of all, he's like, well, 
if we wanted to do the last several chapters of the game the same way we did the first, we would have had to triple the development time and cost because of the, all the areas and the set. I was like, well, then so they you put should out have a had a better plan in place. It's like The plan was always to have this open world for the first half of the game and then this train trip for the last couple chapters. Like That's a stupid plan. But I could have gone along with it if it had made sense. And he's trying to justify this as the storyline is told completely through Noctis's eyes. So, of course, there's massive story things that are going on elsewhere that you, the player, are not aware of because Noctis himself doesn't witness it. And I'm like, that's not how you do that. <laughs> you, yeah, I'm going to call you bullshit. can tell a story through a single person's eyes. It ha- And if there's stuff that happens off screen that's important, at some point you have to explain it and show it to said main character so the audience can <laughs> figure it out. But it's... Oh my god, just the logical backflips he's making to try and justify this legitimately unfinished game that he sold to people is astounding to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm going with fuck that noise. I think they just done fucked up. How long was this game in development for? As Final Fantasy 15, uh, I want to say four to five years, but this was originally supposed to be a spinoff of Final Fantasy 13. This is supposed to be the Final Fantasy 13 versus game is what they called it. And that was literally announced in, I think, like 2008. Right. If not earlier. Like, this game was in development for a long, long, long time. Man. That's horrible. That's horrible. Jesus. (laughs) All right. And yet, and yet, I'm still playing it because I'm three trophies away from a platinum. (laughs) Which one are you missing? Uh, one to like collect all of the, the royal weapons, which again, they make a big deal of you have to unlock like the birthright of your ancestors and claim all these weapons in order to ascend, blah, blah, blah. And then like throughout the story, you get like six of them. And you're like, well, what about the other seven? Oh, fuck it. Who cares anymore? They're, they're in the, they're just not. <laughs> but that, and then there's like a, a crazy boss I have to kill near the end. Oh, God, do you need a trophy for the the one that takes 72 hours? No, 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 no. Are you going to try that? No. <laughs> Leave the PS4 Although, on? <laughs> constantly paused? The, 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 the boss that you have to kill, like, it's legitimately, like, a crazy, like, tough enemy. But, I mean, you can kill it in, like, 10 minutes. Oh, which is a, a lifetime for the way the combat in that game works, but nowhere near 72 hours. God. All right. Anything else? Uh, well, uh, supposedly the... Uh, the DLC is going to be out next month to add in the missing parts of the story. If you want to go back through and replay it, but not the ending though, obviously. Well, I, they, they, they said that there's DLC coming to expand on the missing parts of the story. Huh. That like they're, they're going to go back into the game. This isn't like mass effect three where they just added some stuff onto the end. No, they're going back into the previous chapters and adding stuff in that they realized needs further explanation. I go this, back to my statement of calling bullshit. I'm going to guess not paid DLC either. No, it is free DLC. Because that would suck. Okay. <laughs> okay. Meanwhile, I'm just excited for Sea of Thieves. <laughs> so screw this shit. You can keep your fucking thing. Joe and I will be pirates <laughs> and we'll be happier because of it. Yar. <laughs> did you watch the video? I did. 
It's not very long, and it doesn't show us a ton. Although I love watching everybody running with chests away from other people who are trying to kill them. (laughs) And then dropping into the boat as well. I thought that was fantastic. But more than that, and also the drinking game at the end, love that. Holy shit, Does every time we're seeing a video, it looks better and better. Like the water, especially when the water was really choppy and he was sailing through it, it was like, holy fuck, this is... This is actually gorgeous. Like, yes, it has a cartoonish style, but that doesn't take away the beauty of it either. And it just, every video I'm seeing, it looks astounding. Yeah, and we've talked about that before, where, like, the cartoonish style doesn't necessarily, you know, preclude us from liking the game if it has the character that goes along with it. And Sea of Thieves definitely has a character that goes along with it. You watch it, and it's like, it is hijinks. It is 100% fucking hijinks. Because you can do everything from impromptu, you know, jam sessions on the boat while the other boats in the area ram you, apparently. It was, you know, or, or you know, you can go out trolling for treasure chests and, and murdering other people or, you know, setting up shanty towns. There's a ton of crap you're going to be able to do in this game. And I like that because it's it's it stays true to that sort of like Saturday morning hijink type thing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm okay with it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Again, I, we're not going to talk about it long cause there really was not a lot to the video, just that it reinforced just how fucking cool this is going to be. And, and just how great it looks. Cause that actually was a concern of mine initially, not a big concern because it's not the type of game where you need hyper realistic graphics. So the Pixar ish kind of cute and fun is perfect it's just that it's it's that and on top of that it just it still is stylish stylish and it's still not a simple art style it's it's cutesy kind of thing and it's cartoon elements but that doesn't mean it's simple and again i keep going back to the water just watch the video to see the water it's fucking gorgeous so yeah vince you wanted to talk about path of exiles as well yeah, Path of Exile last last week. Yeah, it had to have been last week. Announced yeah. their forthcoming expansion out in June or July. You know, it's a free to play game, so you know, development is a little. Uh, but then again, you don't need a pre order, so when it's out, it's out. Yes, it's the Oriath expansion, and this video was actually like crazy going back and watching it because they're showing off Act Five, which is you know the next act of the story, and they're showing cool stuff. Like, okay. And then they showed Act 6 and Act 7, Act 8, 9, and 10. They are more than doubling the amount of content currently available in the game with the next free expansion. So the way this is working is currently there's four acts in the game where you're on the island of Rayclast. The concept is you were exiled from your homeland, basically sent to this shithole island to die. You don't. You actually rise to power, and now in Act 5... You're going back to your homeland of Oriath to get revenge. And getting revenge isn't just, you know, one person that wronged you. No, no, you're taking down the entire fucking system. So the way they look at it is Oriath is ruled by a theocracy. The the gods are actually like a thing. So you're just going to go kill them all. And this this plays into uh, one of the big system changes of you can now actually uh, choose which god of the pantheon is going to grant you its blessings after you slay it, (laughs) which you can change on the fly. So you're going to be getting different passive bonuses that you can pick to flavor for whatever particular challenge you're going after. We'll, We'll see how it plays out. It's another interesting twist on the already immense amount of customization available. But after you 
win an Oriath, which is huge. Like the amount of content that's in Oriath itself is ridiculous. Like they said, like 24 new bosses, which is way more than any other act in the game. You actually get to go back to Rayclass and it's changed while you've been gone. So some of it is going to be like different versions of stuff that's already there, but places that you heard about when you were there the first time you can now go to it, it's going to be really interesting and also smart of them for a free-to-play game. They don't have to develop that much more content. You know, from a design standpoint, they're going to reuse a lot of the existing assets, but doing it in a new way. So there's basically an entire second playthrough of the game years later where things have changed. So really cool. And it's going to completely change the way progression works in the game. The way it is now, it's very much like Diablo 2. You play through the game the the current four acts three times on three different difficulty settings before you get to the end game. Whereas now it's going to be one cohesive playthrough. You play through from act one to act 10, and then you're at the end game. You don't have to repeat the content that's there. So it's going to be more streamlined, more new player friendly, and just, like I said, mind blowing for the amount of content that they're adding in in this expansion. When you compare it, especially to D3 <laughs> and some of the shit they've been dialing in, yeah, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> it's actually funny because uh, grinding gear games with the with their shop in game where you can buy all the cosmetic stuff. Yeah, they have like these packs. They, they call them. They put them out there as uh, founder packs, supporter packs, whatever you want to call them. Where they said like this is like really their their what they're going after to invest more money into the making of the game. So, of course, the hardcore fans really you know were behind it. They've played this game for countless hours for free. Of course, we'll throw some money at it. And then shortly after, they announced the development of the console version. So people were pissed. They're like, we just gave, we've been playing this game on PC. We just gave you all this money and our reward is a console version of the game. And then a couple months later, they're like, oh, here's all the other stuff we did with your money. I'm like, we're sorry. <laughs> we still love you. <laughs> we fucked up. We jumped the gun. So did you actually finish this one? Like the, the, the other stuff on it? Not even close. Exactly. I'm sorry. The existing chapters. I mean, uh, no, no. So, how far in are you? Uh, I'm up to Act Two on my current replay. I've actually never done the uh, the Act Four since it got added in. So, I, since it's not going to be out until June, like, I'll probably just do like one full playthrough of Act One through Four without going through all the various difficulties. But yeah, we'll see. There's a new league starting up next month. Cool. I, I again I I haven't played D three now since the last episode of this. I mean I I've been playing it with Tristan for a while and then we kind of and eh, we did everything we wanted to so we really haven't been doing we back to playing Overwatch like crazy, but uh, <laughs> but yeah this the more I've read about it and then seeing this I was like damn I should I, really again, think what about have you this. got to lose other than the time it takes to download it yeah yeah definitely looks cool i and i think tristan has actually played it like way early stuff so and if i'm not mistaken, i played it when it was really early in development i played it a lot in alpha and beta and then once it finally did come out i actually didn't play it too much because like i said that's when diablo 3 finally got good yeah yeah okay lastly and joe you put this in the show notes and it was like i had already bought it myself i don't know if you bought it the mm -hmm. the humble I bundle free, freedom bundle i didn't thing gave away most of the games it's now no longer available yeah, yeah. it's yeah it's gone now well, I mean, the, the idea behind it wasn't so much that I, I figured it would still be up. It was that it ended, and it ended on a 
huge high note. Uh, so the humble people at humble did what was called the freedom bundle. And it was, uh, to raise money for the ACLU, uh, doctors without borders and the international rescue committee. A hundred percent of the proceeds were going to those charities with the first 300 with an additional $300,000 matched by humble themselves. Uh, this ended at $6.3 million. Four. Six, no. Wait, yeah, six six million four hundred and thirty-three uh million nine hundred and thirty or thousand nine hundred and thirty one. Well, yeah. Like it's even higher. It was up Okay, so it was uh, it was up there. I apologize. Six point four million, um, which is still not the highest I've ever done, but pretty damn good. That's a lot. Uh, and they had some really damn good games in here, like Day of the Tentacle, The Witness, Stardew Valley, Subnautica, all of them. All of them. Like, literally any game you've heard about in the last, like, couple years that's been worth a damn showed up here. Uh, and that was really cool. And for something, it was a nice statement from not only them, yep. but the developers of these games, too, of standing in sort of that solidarity uh, with everything that's going on right now in the States. Uh, I appreciated it. So they got my money for sure on top of whatever I already give to the ACLU. I already I bought it as soon as it was announced when I saw what it was and the fact that they were matching donations up to the 300,000 point and that it was all going to these these establishments. And even though I have a crap load of these already, I was like, no, that's fine. I'll buy it. So I figure what I'm going to be doing, too, is. Some of the, the ones that I have that are, are duplicates, we'll just give them away. I'll put them on the, the site or whatever, and people can just grab them. I'm not making a big deal out of it or contest. Just here, take it. It's it's for a fantastic cause. If you're going to play it, have at her. So, yeah. It, and I've given all my duplicates away. And also, I'm really happy to say that uh, my friend's games were part of this bundle as well. Yeah, I saw uh, that. So, so Shimi was part of this part of this game bundle, and I'm I'm very proud of that fact that I know the people behind that game. Yeah. So it's sadly it is done now. If you folks didn't get in on it, it's it's done. But keep an eye out for it, and you may want to even register with them to receive emails when they do talk about the next ones that are going to be coming out. Because again, it's it's humble bundle. If you're not already registered, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> and with that, we will call it a wrap. <laughs> For this week, thank you very much for joining us. You can find the show notes, of course, at ForTheLore.com. And you can find us on Twitter at ForTheLore, individually, Joe's Loaders at J, Vincent Simodian, and I am Zen Buddhist. And you can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher. And for a little cross-promotion here, I'm going to be uploading our latest episode of Popcorn Ronin either tonight or tomorrow. And we actually had uh, our buddy Marty from All Comics Considered joining us as we discussed all things DC. From the DC movies to the Berlantiverse TV shows to the animated, we had a fantastic time. It was an extra long episode, but man, it was a great fun. So make sure to check it out at popcornronin.com. And with that, we'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by ForTheLore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs. Ah,
That's all right. 